We are the existentialists. Four existential psychotherapists invite you to join us in a dialogue about what it means to live an existentially tuned life. Your hosts are Xavier Williams, therapist in Vancouver, Canada. Janelle Dresner, therapist in Edmonton, Canada. Chelsea Stenner, therapist in South Surrey, Canada. And Mihaela Lounano, therapist in Vancouver, Canada. Hello and welcome to episode three of season two of the Existentialist podcast. Uh, we're back to, to the three of us this week, Mihaela and uh, Chelsea and and Xavier, myself, um, and today we're having the um, exciting, I would suggest, uh, maybe terrifying uh, discussion about uh, encountering death. Um, and uh, for people who who might have uh, some insight into existential thought, we're not just talking about literally dying, being buried, turning going to the ground. We're talking about all all forms of death, psychic deaths, near deaths. Um, annihilation, what happens to us after death, all these kinds of things. Um, I'm sure we'll talk more about it more specifically. Um, but yeah, um, so so I think perhaps starting with what what do we mean by 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 encountering death, um, at least from an existential, existential analytic point of view? Mm-hmm. Yeah, thank you, Saf. Thank you for the introduction and uh, already anticipating that um, we don't take encountering death as literal as you know, physical death, but for sure that too, right? And we can um, we can talk about that. But since we are doing this podcast and we assume that we are still all alive, so we haven't perhaps encountered our physical death yet. But uh, I think for, from an existential perspective, as you said, uh, death is very much present in our existence. Like every day, every moment, there is an, an awareness that we are moving towards our death. So it's um it's an omnipresent reality. Mm. Yeah, it kind of defines us really. It makes us human. Otherwise we would be gods. Yeah, it it makes us human and it gives uh, weight and meaning to our existence. Like without um, being aware that everything will end and we don't know when for each of us probably we would not be concerned with uh, what to care for. We won't be too concerned about uh, our lives and others. We wouldn't try to live in a good way, meaningful way. So death is a permanent partner of encounter, I would say, in, in our daily life. Mm-hmm. But pr- presumably we can't really encounter death every day because otherwise we'd be a little bit... Um, I don't know, terrified, stilted. Um, uh, yeah, we just really wouldn't want to go anywhere um, if we didn't. You know, if we f- literally confronted death every t- all the time, and yet, uh, as we're doing today, it's kind of necessary. I think um, uh, Yalom Irvin Yalom talks <coughs> in his book um, "Staring at the Sun." Mm-hmm. He <coughs> he likens uh, death anxiety and and death anxiety because it's pretty much the the ultimate anxiety um and like i'm staring at the sun you know eventually you have to look away otherwise you just go blind um but we're not looking away today Mm -hmm. yeah exactly like we are uh, we are intentionally turning towards (laughs) the sun to use your metaphor and i think it's important and yeah we don't think about it every moment but i think it's important to make room to to turn towards it not just during the podcast but in for each of us in our lives. Because, yeah, you said that um, it makes us human. And, I mean, to go with Heidegger, right, we are kind of being towards that. It's essential to who we are as human beings. Mm-hmm. Yeah, when you were saying that, it was making me think about, um, just like you said, the uniqueness of, of us being human, or this is part of what makes us human. Um, because when I look around... Like if I go for a walk in the forest or something like that, I look around and I recognize 
it is like simultaneously dying and living at the Mm -hmm. same time. And it's in this process. Um, And yet, as far as I know, like the nature itself or other animals aren't necessarily aware of, um, of this happening. Like they're just in it. Whereas we're, we do dip in and out of this consciousness of facing it, or like you said, staring in the sun or staring in the face of death. And for me, just now, even thinking about it, because it does come to mind once in a while, um, and it would be hard to stay with it much of the time. Mm-hmm. Sometimes well, you the, just can't. Well, what makes it hard, Chelsea? Maybe for you, and maybe mm. you can also join in, of course, mm-hmm. maybe, not to put you on the spot, but I wonder, because it is hard. Mm-hmm. I think for me... Um, it makes me evaluate like what I'm doing um, and what is meaningful. So if I'm conscious of, you know, my time running out or that this, you know, death is coming closer to me, then yeah, it makes me go, okay, like did I spend today the way that I wanted to? Am I spending my life in general the way that I want it to? So it makes me question and I think, and sometimes that's, that's uncomfortable mm-hmm. yeah. for, for sure and at the same time like just to play the devil's advocate mm-hmm. and if we if we die who cares how i spend today so just i mean <laughs> just to highlight <laughs> both <laughs> sides okay <laughs> okay so i like that you said that <laughs> i care <laughs> yeah <laughs> I for sure. and i think that you know that's maybe where the meaning comes in like sure mm-hmm. you know when i die enter nothingness then I might I won't even be aware of my life, but I think mm. there's something still meaningful, and there's something still important, even if it all amounts to nothingness, or I won't even be aware of it in the end. Mm-hmm. I, I think that that kind of highlights a, a, a great theme, maybe that um, I'm going to somewhat um, mischievously highlight with a quote from Stalin who says who uh, allegedly said uh, yeah one death is a tragedy a million deaths is a, is a statistic mm-hmm. right essentially yeah highly you said you know who cares if you mm-hmm. you know you die and nothing and then the response is I care it's yeah it's it's that 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 kind of um, you know the 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 zone of the the zone the spectrum of of being alive and being dead and and why it's worth being you know what's worth being alive for and um and and that at least you know at least for me you know death ultimately well that's just it and end of story yeah indeed and i like your um bringing in them that quote and what you said immediately Chelsea, like i care the i you know it that means that there has to be an i and um an awareness of my own self and my, you know, my myself, my being as, as someone who cares, who is concerned. And even if everything is falling apart and we all die, I think to me that's almost like uh, that, that answer that came immediate for you, I think to me carries an enormous depth, like that I care. Because again, we can continue. Why? There is no point. And yet, I, I would assume you would reply, yeah, but I, I do. I do care. But there is no point if everything is ending in nothingness. Why do you care? I think because I'm here and I'm real and this is my one life. And so I might as well. It might as well be a meaningful and beautiful thing if th- if I can achieve that or find that or encounter that. And, and this is <laughs> sorry. And this is the the what the way we speak is like really a demonstration of uh, foundation of existentialism and existential thought. Like what you're saying is like it could be all for nothing. It could be all absurd. Nobody cares. Nothing matters. But I decide for me, I choose for me that it matters. And that's why I think to what you said at the beginning, death defines existence and how we live and our existence. So we are afraid of it. But ultimately, it really defines us as uh, choosing, deciding beings. Because you make a choice against possibly 
chaos and absurd and nothing matters. But you make a choice. That's to me that's radical and profound. It's funny you can I was thinking when when you said, you know, that that I, that I is really what what makes it kind of gives it weight, I think. Um and then just in this last comment when you said, you know, that's um uh it's it's radical, right? And and I I don't feel it as such. Mm-hmm. Even though philosophically I can go that and I can understand that and I can I know why Heidegger and Kierkegaard and every every other philosopher who's ever <laughs> basically existed has talked about it, but it doesn't feel majorly radical to me, at least in my everyday existence. Um, I I think in my in my bio on the, on our website, um, I even have in a brackets, you know, of all this that I am and I have an absurdist, and I'm an absurdist in the sense that I. Have I don't think there is an ultimate ultimate meaning. It's all just mm-hmm. bizarrely random, mm-hmm. but like you, Chelsea, I share that. Like, but I'm here, mm-hmm. and so I may as well hang around and and see what's what's going on. Um, it for at least thankfully in, for me in in my life, it's been largely enjoyable and entertaining and interesting. But um, yeah, mm-hmm. I'm I'm but here. I I exist. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I think it's still profound. The, I mean, maybe you don't feel it that way, and that's your feeling and your experience, and you can own it. But I think it's profound because you can also say, "I don't care if the universe is absurd, and you're if you are truly being absurdist, right?" You can always say, "I don't care," then I live, I do what the heck I want, whenever I want. I don't care about moral values, moral conscious, you know, impact on others. But I, knowing you, <laughs> I don't strike me as living that way. So there is a care, and I go back to your response, immediate response, Chelsea. I care. And I think that's profound. And I don't want to intellectualize it, but this is also the key concept in Heidegger. When he talks about existence and the Sorge, I care. And this is what you answer. I care. And I think there's something profound. I th- yeah, like death provides this counterbalance that gives them the weight and the the mystery and the curiosity of life because it provides that that contrast. Um, it, there's a show, and this will be a bit of a spoiler alert. So if you've seen The Good Place, you'll know what I'm talking about. If you haven't seen it, maybe skip this part. It's a great show, but it's about the afterlife, and essentially. Um, it's this process where people just kind of keep cycling through the afterlife until they become better and better people intrinsically and more caring and more humane and things like that. And towards the end, um, well, actually before the end, there's this depiction of, you know, this place that is called the good place that people go to where there is nothing bad anymore. There is no death. There's no boredom. um, There's no nothingness. And yet, the people become really, really dull and disconnected from life and really, um, really checked out. And so it, it shows that, um, that death is, it's really important to counterbalance life, that something can end, shows that we, we, need, we need that ending in, or, in order for something to be life-giving and motivating and provide this impulse to live and at the end of the show um the characters have the option of walking through this door um that ultimately leads to nothingness it's the nothingness after the uh, after the afterlife um and it and i think like that needs to be there too because if that option is not there then it just becomes that same mundane Mm -hmm. experience yeah, um, this is very much like probably a, a bit of a uh, dramatization of um, Heidegger again, right? Like the non-being and the nothingness support <laughs> the existence. Like they are without those existing and existence like, are not even conceivable. And also it strikes me that uh, us in, um, since we talk about encountering death, maybe it would be better to say encountering the possibility of death in every moment, if we pay attention, is that we encounter our care and our concern and what uh, and our existential um, you know impetus to to make choices to decide that for me this matters even if it is 
completely irrelevant perhaps for everyone else yeah yeah it kind of it it, <coughs> it it makes me think of a um uh something that i came to maybe in the middle of the training or after i you know finished or at some point but i remember at one point in my life thinking that um suicide must be would be the the, the ultimate existential act right the ultimate free choice of i've ta- i've decided not to to live anymore notwithstanding that many people who do actually do want to live and they're just suffering but just for you know for argument's sake and um <coughs> and it it took a few years but eventually i came around to actually reversing that and the, to suggesting that the ultimate existential decision is actually to live to to live maybe in spite of right you know, to 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 as we've said you know to care to explore to to continue existing um until such a time that existence decides that i'm it's over I was gonna say, it almost sounds like you did the existential turn, mm-hmm. but with death itself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I, I mean, w- when you put it that way, I feel quite proud about it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I suppose that's exactly what I did. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. And and um, why not uh, why not choosing when our encounter with death is going to be? Like why not? Um, I mean, going back on since you bring up a very <laughs> essential topic, right? Suicide and the possibility of choosing the moment and maybe the form of our death. Like, um, why not? Well, in, in truth, I haven't ruled that out yet. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Chelsea. So the existential turn is in progress. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> no, I mean, I, I, I could, I can. I can imagine it's not an absolute decision. I, I can imagine a, a, a time in my life when, uh, or a situation where I would be, where I'd, I'd be like, okay, it's time now. I, it's either I'm too old, or or, or or I I cannot engage. Life no longer has holds anything. Existence no longer holds anything. Um, I'm just in that good place or maybe it wouldn't be a good place it'd just be a banal place which would probably be the worst and now, now you are really stimulating my imagination so going off that like maybe it's worth kind of each of us um, kind of reflecting and sharing how do we how do we imagine encountering our own death like if uh, our own death will were to come now or tomorrow like imminently so to speak how do we encounter that I think, the, I mean, depending on the, the pace of it, and now we're just talking really about life here. Um, but um, I think with great sadness and not and, uh, with great loss, I think that's the, for me, I, I've, I don't know when I recognize that, but that my death, uh, I'm, I'm not scared of dying. I, I have no fear of going to hell or, or going to heaven or, or anywhere, just, I'm okay with that, but I would I would be disappointed that I don't get to see more, that I don't get to see more, ex- have more experiences, that I don't. Well, I don't know. You know, that that's really the the thing that. And so in that way, I kind of want to say it's not so much that I I would encounter death, but I would cease encountering life, if that was it. Yeah, you you definitely. It's a declaration of love to life that came through your answer. Like you're definitely passionate about life, and you you sense you you feel life like such a value, so precious, and you don't want to lose that. Mm-hmm. Not not yet. So your encounter will still be an encounter, but um, with um, through grief, through like the personal response will be grief. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. What? Yeah. What's coming up for me? I think it depends on maybe where I'm at in or how close I feel maybe I am to death Um, because when I contemplate it right now from a place where, you know, I I don't assume I'm going to die anytime soon, um, what comes up is like feelings of, of longing, the people that I would miss, the experiences that I would miss. I would feel left behind in some sense that life is going on without me. Um, however, in 
when I was when I was a kid, I was I became really sick, and um, I remember thinking to myself like, like I'm going to die, mm-hmm. and it was very peaceful actually. Mm-hmm. It was almost like a little bit of a surrender um, and like a letting go. It was because it it felt at that point like it wasn't in my control anymore, um, and I'm like, okay, this is happening. That's it. So very different experience, like yeah, as I as I felt like existentially closer to it physically, it was more peaceful. But when I think about it right now, it brings up the sadness that you described. Yeah, I can relate to the um, kind of different uh, feelings over different um, stages of life. Like even until two years ago or so. It was much more like sadness and maybe even a bit of an anxiety, like, oh, I really don't know. I mean, we talk about encountering death, right? But really, I don't think any of us knows how it actually feels. And so it was always a bit like, not sure, a bit of trepidation. And I still, to this day, maintain a feeling of like awe or something that is so beyond my understanding that uh, evokes that feeling of awe and a bit of trembling, a bit more. But um, the sadness is still there, of course, and I definitely don't want to, to die and I want to to encounter this much, much later in my life if possible. But there is a more of a sense of surrender kind of creeping in and almost a sense of like curiosity and openness that is connecting with that surrender that I haven't experienced until two years ago. So I was much more holding on and saying, no, I don't want to. But now it's more... Yeah, curiosity, definitely opening up and mellowing a bit, like becoming more <laughs> tender and softer towards the possibility. But the trembling and um, the feeling of awe that and recognizing I have no idea really how, how it's going to be. But also, yeah, the sadness for sure, the sense of loss. There's a part of me <coughs> that's incredibly curious to 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 find out right to because you know in my in my belief in my i don't know the way i see it and you know, when we die it's kind of like when we're born it's just we have no idea we just not we just cease to exist um uh, it, it would be curious if that wasn't the case like you know what if it, we were reincarnated what if we go to heaven what if we End up in there was this great Doctor Who ad, um, episode where they where you kind of went to this place that was um, kind of like this um, world that was kind of attached to this one. Um, it was a, it, it, you know just all these bizarre ways that you where you might go or in or, or how um, that would be. But I, I suspect as I you know as I say that I suspect that's part of my I, I like what you how you put it Mahila my my kind of love for life. Mm-hmm. Um, I suspect that's one a little bit of wanting to continue <laughs> living. I was about to say, like you, you sound as if you will entertain the possibility of a, a afterlife full of life. You mean immortality? <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah, something of that sort. So I don't know. I think that will you have to sort this out within yourself. Just kidding. <laughs> Yeah, and yet even if there is a sense of openness and you know, like curiosity, like most people, as you said, so that are afraid of death, and perhaps we as well, like to a certain degree, right? So um, I wonder what's that about? Like usually encountering the possibility of death uh, elicits anxiety. I mean, at least uh, one of the simple answers for that is religion, right? So many, not all, but many religions, many of the major ones. It's not guaranteed that it's going to be a fun time, right? <laughs> <laughs> to put it mildly, um, and so why would you want it? I wouldn't. I'd be terrified of that too. Um, it helps that I don't believe in it, so you know, great. But um, you know, but then it. I think it really. What it really comes down to, and I think I talk about this in sessions a lot. Um, it's the unknown. Is we just don't know, and. This, this is a strange thing about humans. We don't like not knowing. Totally. And yet, I go back to Chelsea's answer, we don't know and yet we care. So it's again, it strikes me like, yeah, actually we don't know. And and yet we can choose 
to care. Everyone needs the the unknown and to to live in a meaningful way. Or we can of course allow ourselves to be completely run over by anxiety and by what ifs about death. And um, what you said about religion, what I find terribly sad in what you just said, that most religion portray the afterlife as not really a, a fun place, at least for some some people. It's um, because I noticed that some people become so preoccupied with uh, what will be after this life that they forget to live this mm-hmm. life. And that to me is terribly sad, sad because instead of death to provide that impetus to really look at uh, what we have, the life we have, to receive it as a gift, to make the most out of our time mm-hmm. and to care for this life. There is this anxiety and obsession about fitting in into afterlife, into a certain place. I'm not going to say more about it. <laughs> but yeah, sometimes death's shadow can become so big that rather than somebody then choosing to encounter life and even maybe take some risks or do some things that are exciting, it becomes really, really narrowing and almost paralyzing. Some folks are homebound um, or don't take any risks anywhere at any time because it could lead to death and yet they're not living. Because um, good anxiety um, is, as um, people said, the royal way to being. Like our anxiety points again towards the fact that I care about something. Otherwise, why would I be afraid if I don't care? I don't care. It's great. I don't care, but I care about something. And that uh, that I care about is really the what is for me, what being is for me, and what existence is for me. So with the anxiety, I'm, I'm not so concerned about the anxiety around that. That's good. But then if the anxiety becomes, as you said, paralyzing and futile, and just... Um, trap someone in, in within that cycle of anxiety, that's pretty sad. But if it opens up again a gate towards like asking, oh, wow, I'm anxious. So that must mean that I do give a damn, not to say the F word in, on the podcast. Also, there is a title of a book, right? So I guess it will be okay. But I, I give a damn. I mean, I, <laughs> I, I care. I'm concerned with something. Yeah, it, it matters. Um, I'm, 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 I'm uh, curious. Uh, we've uh, noting that um, uh, for the first what almost half an hour, what we've really been talking about is life, <laughs> rather than kind of death, which is uh, not not really actually that surprising because this is really, I think, what it what it ultimately is about. But I wonder if we if we maybe turn a little bit more towards maybe more literal. Um, or, or not so literal um, uh, ways of where we've actually or we how people actually encounter actual death or psychic deaths or uh, uh, feelings of annihilation, obliteration, all that kind of thing. Yeah, thank you for that. I was about to also say, well, where do we encounter actual signs of death at least if not death itself and i like what you said Josie, in nature all the time like now we are emerging from winter <laughs> fingers crossed but anyway so there is that hibernation and it appears like uh, you know the plants are dying and some are literally dying and some are again are gonna show up again but like it's all the time in the fall in the winter like it's so easy to notice the decay the signs of death the signs of time and and also too like a plant will stop nourishing part of itself and stop putting energy towards part of itself and let part of itself die so that something else can continue or so that it can stay alive so it is this process where it's it like death and life happen simultaneously and and yes for sure the cycles of life and but also, I think for myself, talking about my experience, I, I feel that, um, you know, of course, not physical way, but psychologically, emotionally, um, I, we do experience death, like cycles of life, <laughs> the cycle of a plant, but also in our own development. I'm definitely not the same as I was like, know, 20 years ago. And there were um, perhaps more than one death that happened, like, um, since I... I'm aware of myself in this world and until now there are clear moments of time when 
I felt that parts of me died, or I surrendered to a process that felt like um, something was kind of passing out and there was um, um, something new was emerging. So I guess in the um, intrapsychically, we do experience, um, for example, crisis, uh, periods of intense transformation in our lives that uh, feel like dying. And of course, um, spiritual experiences, uh, I mean, people who wrote about spiritual experiences, they, one way or another, the word death and dying are in there, that they feel like dying. So probably that kind of transformation is the closest we can get the feeling or the experience of dying that requires that surrender and the pain of um, mm. renouncing and releasing something that we are attached to at that time. Uh, the other thought that came to mind and um, is is that there are various kind of psychological theories that will talk about um, where I'm thinking particularly in relation to <coughs> um, when people have difficulties with, say, a parent and and kind of almost have these desires that their parent died, w- w- were dead. Um, and I, uh, I'm not going to say which theory because I'm not clear <laughs> which one specifically says it, but um, the idea being that um, the, the parent doesn't have to literally die in order for them to die psychically in kind of in that that kind of let's call it corrupted image of that you have that we have of them in, in our minds that they can die in in our minds in our experiences um, i remember just being told that right that this person doesn't have to die in order for it for them to to, to die in your mind mm-hmm. yeah uh, yeah i agree with that and also trauma like especially major traumas like they do come with a feeling of death and like something dies. I mean, I'm, um, Donald Kalshet wrote a beautiful book, Trauma and the Soul, and pretty much one of the major theses of, of his research and clinical experiences about that uh, with each trauma, something dies. It's a destruction of something vital, of something that was alive and was, you know, <laughs> blossoming and was uh, completely uh, destroyed. So sometimes we are not aware, we numb it, we, we, we don't feel we don't feel it, but there is a lot of death that comes through trauma. And also I remember someone in one of the trainings, right, who uh, we talked about anxiety being kind of always about death in the sense of annihilation, like destruction, not, not being. And this person being a bit surprised and kind of say, well, this is very limiting, like to just uh, reduce um, anxiety to... That's anxiety, and she was offering the example of people who who live in incredibly uh, incredible oppression, systemic oppression, um, like racism, marginalization, all that. And uh, I think I said at that time, yeah, there are so many deaths in in that kind of existence. Like when we we belong, these people are part of a system that um, basically denies their existence. So there is that experience of dying that is constantly, so I guess it's also the racial trauma or like um, systemic traumas, but also individual traumas are, um, are where we can experience dying. And so, so, so maybe um, now that we kind of elucidated a bit more about those experiences, I wonder how, what if our clients, since we the aim of our podcast seems to be, you know, about you know existential therapy and how to work with clients. Like how, how to work with clients who experience either, you know, fear of death, like without a particular <laughs> situation, or death anxiety, or maybe they are literally dying in some ways because they are living in a family, perhaps, and when they are um, abused, not necessarily physically, but emotionally, spiritually, maybe they belong to a church that is spiritually abusive, or maybe, yeah, they belong to a system that is oppressive and literally kills their spirit in a way. Yeah, it's, um, the, I mean, there's, to, to, to start more with the kind of the, 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 the anxiety parts, mm-hmm. um, the, um, uh, certainly my, my favorite of all the existential, Techniques that we <laughs> that, that, that we trained in is, is one that's called um, 
somewhat ominously, but it's not actually um, the gates of death. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and it, it, it's really a, a fascinating exercise to, to take a client through. And um, I remember, you know, learning about it and, and it's where, um, and correct me if I'm wrong here, but it's where we, we take the client step by step to the thing that they fear the most. Mm-hmm. And it's typically has to do with some form of mm-hmm. death, dying, something like that and then as if you can imagine imagine somebody on a cliff you literally push them off and kind of where where alternate where where usually we would have wanted them to jump they get pushed um and i remember you know so philosophically and 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 theoretically i got it and i was like this makes a lot of sense um and then but then i did it with a client once and it worked like it actually worked. <laughs> and I was like, wow, oh, this is incredible. And, you know, she'd come in for, for, for general kind of stuff and, and you know, some anxiety and some stuff about herself. And, and we did a few things and then we did the gates of death. And that flipped everything. It just flipped everything. She quit her job and started working in a job that she wanted to work in. She uh, just everything opened up. And she she would tell me she said like it's after we did that one thing mm-hmm. everything changed for me mm-hmm. um, and which was really neat to watch mm-hmm. um, uh, uh, particularly for somebody like me who who likes to philosophize and intellectualize right where we took a the theoretical and it mm-hmm. and into the practical mm-hmm. yeah and I think is that exercise you don't just push someone over the cliff for the sake of seeing them. <laughs> over the cliff but the the thing is the transformation that happens in that person is that they land somewhere on on perhaps a deeper ground right and they realize oh i can literally move through the gate of death and i'm i'm still here it won't it won't be a destruction it won't be an annihilation i'm still here i confronted my deepest fear and i made it through death psychologically speaking and i now i'm free and I guess from that sense of freedom and you know the ground re- finding the ground under her feet, like she she moved on and chose her way of living, a way how to live her life, and that's that's really beautiful. And then another thing is like to maybe to remind some clients, not all of them, of course, depending on what's going on, that death and thinking about death and reflecting on death and experiencing um, the possibility of death. It's uh, it really means that we care and that we can make decisions. Encountering the possibility of death means encountering what we care for, basically, and kind of trying to, of course, not to declare it and to tell the client this is how it is, but to help them realize that without that, there is no real possibility of a meaningful existence or something that matters. And of course, it, that's why some people go to religion and other systems maybe even political system to to take the meaning or to take what they should care for from there in a given form but if one stays with oneself and say well yeah i I will die and they can say like chelsea well yeah but i care or some people may say i don't care i mean there are also some people who don't care when they realize that Mm -hmm. things may be absurd and random I have a just a, a side note, little pet peeve, is that I uh, much like people who will tell you that they're apathetic in terms of political views. Mm-hmm. I find that people who don't care and people who are apathetic tend to tell you a lot about how much they don't care, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, which I always find that I find um, curious. They they definitely care about <laughs> telling you about that they don't care. So, yeah, definitely. And I think one thing we, we forgot to talk about is like uh, encountering death by witnessing someone dying or accompanying someone in their own death. I think that's also something, I mean, I witnessed few of those uh, instances in when I was in Romania, like family or neighbors, right? So I think that's also a profound experience to accompany or even witness someone going through their own death. And again, death is the most solitary experience. I mean, nobody can die with us. Or, I mean, 
we can stage it, I suppose. But nobody can really, <laughs> really experience it the same way or die for us. So it's incredibly alone experience and yet witnessing and um, the kind of experience that I think also is important and how we then imagine ourselves encountering death. Yeah, I, I did that last year with a client um, and uh, I think I mentioned her before in a different podcast. Uh, she died in on Boxing Day, I think, last year. Um, and it, it was, it, 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 it was kind of, um, bizarre is the wrong word, but this strange thing of, of being with somebody knowing full well that they're going to die. Not that they're going to die, like, maybe some point in the future, but, like, it will happen. And then seeing that as it started to approach much more quickly um, and realizing that there's nothing to do. Like, there's nothing nothing to do um, other than, as you say, be there and witness. And um, and uh and it did. It did make me kind of think about my own death, but about how I would, not my, my, how I would respond in the same situation, right? If I've got a terminal illness and I've got mm. six months, a year, however long to live, um, and um, at least for for this client, like I'm, I'm, I hope, I hope, and this is a, I can't say I will. I say I hope um, that I will do it with as much grace. It was astounding, actually, for somebody who had been anxious her whole life, seriously anxious her whole life. She approached death incredibly well, um, it, and it was it was it was rather remarkable to to, uh, to witness. But there is a, it reminds me of what Chelsea said: like the more we actually approach the the actuality of the physical death, there is a, a settling, and. The anxiety, death anxiety, is probably more for uh, people who are not imminently, <laughs> you know, about to die. Or like it's um, again, we distinguish in existential analysis between uh, anticipatory anxiety, right, and fundamental anxiety, and and real fear and like the imminence of something happening. But I, I also witness a similar like calmness and settledness and surrender, like um, and yeah, even older people, right, who are presumably somewhat closer to death, like typically, right? They have much more, you know, um, acceptance, openness than people who are young. And that makes a lot of sense, of course, developmentally. But it's like not the death itself, the physical death itself, that it's perhaps the scarier, the scariest, sorry, but um, the anticipation, the imagination of what could happen. And and I also was wondering, like, about um, so is the real death? I mean, you you offer the example of your client accompanying, being with, witnessing, and maybe even now aligned ourselves to be moved and to share that, right? To be close. But I I wonder, and death anxiety, like when it's not imminent death, but like it's it's a very rich source of exploration, and actually bringing the client to reflect on what they care about and why do they care about so much that they are so anxious not to die. But I wonder what happens with the dying that continues, that are everyday death, like of someone living in an abusive relationship or abusing family or uh, oppressive system. Yeah, that's a, that's a much, a much um, more difficult mm -hmm. thing to witness, mm -hmm. um, particularly, particularly when... when from the outside, you maybe see a, a possibility of it changing, but from the inside, it doesn't seem to, or it can, or it can be seen, but isn't cannot be actualized. Um, it's uh, as a uh, yeah, witnessing clients go through that is incredibly hard. Um, you know, ranging from frustrating to um, to to enraging. Um, you know, to um, and um, but mostly just sorrow and, and pain and watching watching people kind of yeah every time every time that there's a, a bit of a glimmer of hope they come in the next session and and it's gone like it's not even just dwindling you know kind of um, like a little can like it's it's just gone uh, and it's uh, it's that's that's probably one of the hardest ones to to 
to witness, to work with. Um, uh, yeah. Yeah. So, <laughs> so what do you do with those clients? Because I, 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 I'm with you, like uh, witnessing the destruction of hope, basically the di- the death of hope. That's really uh, <laughs> brutal and it's devastating, and uh, especially because there's there's not much they can do on an individual level, like their individual agency is not sufficient, and we witness that. Yeah, I, I think, I mean, I think in 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 those instances we. I think I do two, well, not many things, but two two things primarily is one is almost, I don't know how to say this, share in that resignation. Kind of, uh, but that's kind of, sometimes there is nothing to do or nothing to say, mm-hmm. right? There isn't all, all the client. Mm-hmm. I'm just acknowledging that this situation is, is as it is. And then the other thing that I, I do, I mean, I don't know if this is a, a thing, a philosophical thing, which is a thing I've done by default, because uh, you might have guessed by now that I'm a, I'm a bit of an optimist. Um, is I hold out hope. Mm-hmm. The hope still stays in me, mm-hmm. right? I have hope for the client, and, and I have, um, I put I've put a lot of faith and and trust in those clients, right? Mm-hmm. That that they will be able to to endure at least. Mm-hmm. Um, so so it. You know, somewhere in me, it keeps alive. And and I th- and I think my sense is that there is an attunement, and they could sense that if we hold on to to that hope and that faith, that somehow it's strengthening. And o- on the other hand, like I was thinking, like on a more systemic social level, like also brings up issue of like, um, okay, we cannot do anything in one-on-one sessions. That's understandable sometimes, but like, okay, what do we do more systemically? How are we, each of us, kind of uh, possible <laughs> agents of change and not colluding with some oppressive systems as much as possible? Or maybe even resourcing the, those clients to to connect with other you know, systems or resources. So it's, um, yeah, sometimes a place of uh, acknowledging it's terrible and it, it's a... Uh, it's just hard to, and at other times maybe it's also time to step in and not as a therapist, but like to, on their behalf. And I think this is where the advocacy and uh, our role as advocates perhaps sometimes, but these are, um, in my experience, these are the most difficult situations. Like I I also had clients who kind of got diagnosed and dying or have, um, have died. And I think if I compare those with those cases of like... Um, dying every day and the uh, hope dying i think the latter are heartbreaking yeah yeah there's a heaviness that comes with that like it feels very very tragic like to to witness when there are systems in place that keep people from thriving and from being themselves and yeah what was coming up for me like is that joining with that activism that solidarity that's really important um and a lot of the time you know the system is is too big for one session or multiple Mm -hmm. sessions or any sessions to do anything about but there's something about being with witnessing and then having that then change me as a person to go out and try and make a little bit of difference my 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 (coughs) kind of uh, one of my favorite things (coughs) there is uh, uh, it's come up before but this is subterfuge um kind of you know trying to subvert the system um and one of the ways i try and do that is (coughs) i try and teach people how to make the system work in your favor or at least kind of make it a little bit easier um where you know because <coughs> you know as you say by me one person i won't be able to change it but mm-hmm. if i can help you work it in this one way then maybe this is one death that you get to avoid or that you don't have to suffer um and maybe for this amount of, you know a minute amount of time but still um 
this is something that that you kind of learn as um, uh, when you live in different countries. You got to learn how different systems work and how to talk in different countries. And even if they're all the same language, like I've lived in South Africa and in the UK and Canada, and the way English is used is very different, and the way that the bureaucracy works is very different, and the way that people work are very different. Um, and uh, and so you you kind of learn and, and passing on that kind of knowledge, which has nothing to do with psychotherapy <laughs> in those moments, but um, but it's it's something that that I think is is useful. Yeah, it's definitely like um, uh, the subversiveness. <laughs> yes, it's an act of resistance for sure. That is uh, that uh, protects in some form to a certain degree life and the value of life and the moral, ethical, of course, um, uh, the person of those people who suffer. But yeah, that's what I was hearing you speak. The word resistance came to, to my mind. So maybe going back to our theme of encountering death, right? And I, I wonder if, um, yeah, if, is there anything else? Or I, it, it kind of, I also feel drawn to entering into dialogue, even as our listeners, not mm. in direct, but like through the question that came to my mind, I would be curious to hear from from people who listen to us is like um, since we talk about so many ways of encountering death, is like how have you encountered death in your life? Have you encountered death in in what uh, shape or form? How and what does uh, what did it feel like? I would be very curious, like if because um, obviously we cannot be so exhausted in terms of the possible. Uh, um, ways, forms in which death um, uh, comes, enters in our lives, but like maybe it's good uh, for everyone to pause and reflect, does death even enter into our existence, into our awareness? Do we notice it? Because it, as you said, it's omnipresent. And how, or maybe there are moments when they're more intense in terms of encountering death. And, and maybe maybe this is a... Uh, uh almost very appropriate to to be talking about it and when in 2021 um where i'd say in particularly in kind of the urbanized worlds um our encounters with death are tend to be minimal mm-hmm. and and even when they are they're um you know they're they're te- very very short-lived or even if somebody let's say gets uh I don't know, murdered in our street well, the police will come and then they put up a tent around the person because they, well, forensically kind of things, but also to kind of hide it from view for, I don't know, maybe for people's sensibilities, even the way we consume food, like, you know, um, uh, and, 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 and how meat is done. And so many people have maybe a very basic knowledge of that. Yeah, well, obviously your meat comes from animals, but how is that, how does that occur? Like, what does it actually mean to slaughter an animal and... And and what have you, um, and 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 so on. I mean, there's hundreds of examples, but I think um, we haven't been confronted, um, save for maybe in the last year with COVID, where suddenly death is, you know, we, we get told how many deaths are happening every day, um, you know, and um, uh, yeah, so so um, it, it may be difficult actually for I think for a lot of our listeners to. To to identify things beyond the you know the obvious the the death of family and friends and what have you. Well, I agree. Like I think our culture is largely a death denial culture in many ways and forms. But yeah, but death is still very present. Like maybe even in um, the fact that the sun sets and the day is gone and mm-hmm. the darkness is coming. That's one way in which we experience again that cycle. What Chelsea said about. Uh, no um ending and beginning it's not just an endless light or endless night thank thank god for that like there is a, an ending and a beginning the seasons end and begin now that spring is coming we we can see the beginnings and that should probably remind us of that something was hidden or ended in the fall and so there are many many ways, many circumstances that naturally occurring, right? Not exceptional circumstances that remind us of endings and of death. And we age. Oh, we didn't talk about age. <laughs> <laughs> we are aging. I mean, our body are aging. Uh-huh. We look in the mirror and kind of say, oh my God, who is that? 
you know, like it's, I mean, there is, uh, the time is running through our veins, literally, and through our skins and appearances and all that. So it's, um, I mean, we are being towards that. We are in time. And that only means one thing, that we are approaching that encounter, the real encounter. So I think it's worth engaging with the, the question, I mean, how do I encounter the possibility of death? Like, do I notice that um, it's here every time? And I don't need to stare in the sun all, all the time, but and what does it mean? Do I respond like Chelsea? Oh, I care. <laughs> or this is more like, <laughs> who cares? Like This is my only life. As long as it lasts, I'm going to do whatever. Or, or maybe I can just ignore it. Yeah, or I ignore it, or maybe I can even drink some more and do some drugs. You know, there are many ways in which you can avoid the question. <laughs> um, well, one thing I, th I, th I think is, is is worth having a maybe a brief chat about, and um, and really for for its interest, um, and maybe for clients to simulate thought. Mahila, you you came up with this uh, really interesting uh, question earlier before we started. Um, given that our our season two is all about encountering. And from our first two podcasts, we've uh, episodes of the season, we we've shown how encounter really exists in this kind of dialogue, this interaction I have with, with with, let's say another or with myself. Um, and then you asked, um, well, if we encounter death, what does death have to say? Like, do we? What? How do? Uh, does death encounter us? I think is how you put it, actually, um, which provoked a wonderful kind of set of images and thoughts in my mind. Um, I'm not even sure if we, we if, if we can talk about it, but it, I think it's a, a cool thing to put out there. Well, I think I, uh, my answer is like, watch the movie The Seventh Seal by Ingmar Bergman. It's a fantastic movie, which the, without spoiling, um, it's uh, about a human being, like playing chess with death. And the death is, you know, um, another human being. And yeah, there is dialogue, quite fascinating dialogue. I'm not sure if uh, this man really felt encountered in that personal way, but definitely addressed very directly and personally. So that would be an interesting movie in which, like in an artistic way, there is this dialogue, this encounter in which death actually engages with the fear. And of course, as any human being, he wanted to gain some extra time. <laughs> like probably we all want, yeah. most of us would want the same thing. But yeah, it remains intriguing, like... Uh, I think death can address us and maybe even personally address us because it's my death. So it's uh, it's going back to existential turn idea like there is. I mean, the fact that uh, my my death is telling me it's gonna this is gonna finish. What are you doing? How are you living? Are you prepared to encounter me? At least it gives reminders. Right, so I think there is a. I am addressed by it. And like all human beings, sometimes I don't want to hear the, <laughs> the <laughs> address. Well, yeah, it does address you personally because, like you said mm -hmm. earlier, only you can die mm -hmm. your death, mm -hmm. and so it is very personal. And then it also calls that question of, well, what what do you do, or are you ready to encounter me? Um, yeah, th the images that was coming to mind for me, Zav, when, when you were talking was kind of like death accompanying me throughout mm -hmm. life, where it's just kind of walking along and pops up at different times. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, it does kind of feel like this accompaniment almost, like mm -hmm. death is kind of walking me towards itself. Mm -hmm. Sometimes I'm aware of it and sometimes I'm not. I love I love that I love that oh, I love that uh, image too that walking and I think even in this movie it was like that this was around for a long time and this person didn't even notice and then suddenly it emerged and said oh okay your time has come are you ready of course no let's play some yeah. more chess <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna beat you <laughs> if, if for, for for anybody who wants a maybe a less profound heavy. Uh, kind of a movie there's um 
in, I can't remember which Harry Potter it's in, I think it's in Deathly Hallows, there's that little story of the beetle and the bard, and it's about these three brothers who, d- who, who um, um, they cheat death, and then death kind of uh, gives them these prizes, and, um, and the two brothers uh, die, and quite quickly and then the other one I think it says he goes off and and enjoys a fruitful life and has a son and everything and then said and when when time came um he said he uh, I think that the last line is um uh he he joined death and they walked away as as friends which which is what Mm -hmm. I was thinking about Mm -hmm. when you were talking Chelsea about Mm -hmm. you know kind of accompanying and and almost I like that kind of being almost being tapped on your shoulder Mm -hmm. Every now and then, mm-hmm. and then eventually the maybe then maybe that's it. Maybe we get tapped on the shoulder until when we finally die, we we actually turn around and look. Yeah, that that's also very profound. It is. They <laughs> finally we turn around and look it uh, in in its face, and now that is a personal addressing. And so 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 maybe then the answer to your question about you know do w- what is death know say to us mm-hmm. maybe we only find out right at that moment i mean maybe of course i <laughs> i think that's probably for sure <laughs> yeah and my <laughs> hope is that we will not um, that even then we won't be deaf or blind i mean hopefully that will be the moment of awakening for for us because we tend to you know pretend that we don't hear or feel those <laughs> shoulder taps Sometimes, but maybe, yeah, it won't be as uh, spectacular as we imagine, but it will be simply more like uh, paying attention and turning towards. So I, d- I don't know about you two, but I'm, I'm getting the feeling that almost that we're just almost getting going. Like now my mind's kind of really working and, uh, and you know, I'm thinking about, for example, um, you know, it does that mean in when, when we're anxious that we're, we're just being repeatedly tapped on the shoulder by death, mm-hmm. going like almost too quickly. We can't even, we can't ignore it, um, uh, but we definitely don't want to turn and face it. Well, well I, I think you're right because the more we don't want to face it, the more we get tapped and the more unpleasant it is. You know, like the yeah, absolutely, I think so. So the death is knocking. I used to have a fear of dying, mm-hmm. and. Or I guess maybe a more prominent fear of dying. Probably you know, no one, well, maybe some people want to die. I don't want to die personally yet at this point. But I used to be afraid of it. And then I started thinking to myself, I'm like, okay, well, death is, you know, a fact of life. It will come upon me. And what helped me through that was going, well, how would I, how would I like to die? Or what would be an acceptable, for me, an acceptable means of dying. I mean, what would my life look like at that time? What would my relationships look like? What would I be looking back on? Um, how how would I how would I die? And then it started kind of, I, I have this actually memory of s- being on a mountain snowboarding and then at some point realizing, like, this is really risky. I could hit mm-hmm. a tree, but I also really enjoy it. Then I was thinking, you know what, if somebody took me out right now on the board or hit me and I died, like, I was doing something mm-hmm. that was quite enjoyable. And, mm-hmm. I, and I remember thinking, I'm going along, I'm like, hmm, I'm not too opposed to that idea. Mm-hmm. And it was quite freeing. And I've had a few of those little moments here and there, like going, okay, yeah, this, I could give my consent to this moment if this is it. Yeah, I know, I know what you mean, Chelsea. That's what I do when, when when I'm on my bike and I'm going downhill, yeah, trying to go as fast yeah. as I possibly can. <laughs> there's a point at which you're like, well, okay, if I fall now, it'll hurt. And then there's a point at which you're like, if I fall now, it could go really badly. Mm-hmm. Um, and and that's a a thing you yeah a risk you take a, a, an assumption a deal that you you make I think. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is at least in those moments like you it there is a an enjoyment to it. Uh, there, there's a reason. There's a purpose. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But and I'm also I notice that again talking about that turns into talking about being fully alive and mm-hmm. in the moment and fully engaged with life, which is very interesting that uh, perhaps encountering death is equal encountering life. 
And I mean, actually, the fear of death and death anxiety is mostly in um, founding people who haven't lived or they have a feeling that they haven't lived fully, they don't live fully, they haven't lived their own life, they are living someone else's, you know, based on someone else's expectations. So that fear of death, right, that I don't want to die, I'm not ready, it's uh, largely connected to this. I'm, I haven't lived yet. Mm-hmm. I, haven't ex- I haven't had these moments on the snowboard or on the bike. And I'm so hungry for life that I cannot say yes to death. So again, they are so, so, so beautifully interconnected there. That it's, yeah. So basically, our episode would be encountering uh, life through death. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. yeah. And so then, when we do one on encountering life, we'll just talk about death all the time, won't we? Yeah, because, you know, that's what we do. Um, so, um, uh, not, not, not that we want to cut the conversation short, but um, episodes have to end at some point. Um, <laughs> Sorry, I couldn't, <laughs> I couldn't help it. <laughs> <laughs> I have a bit of, I have a bit of anxiety now. <laughs> we have to end. I'm not sure I'm ready. <laughs> Tough. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I, I quite enjoyed that. Um, uh, and I, I, don't, I doubt this will be the last time that we talk about death, mm-hmm. um, uh, whether specifically or, or generally. Yeah, so that brings us to the end of our time today, and we'll just leave you with our existential question. Have you encountered death um, in any of its forms? And if you have, what has it been like for you? Okay, thanks for tuning in. Check us out on social media and on our website, and we'll talk soon. Follow us on Instagram at Existentialist Podcast and let us know your answer to today's existential question. To learn more about us, listen to and learn about other episodes, visit our website at existentialistpodcast.com. <laughs>